Hello, welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about arbitrary combat, but before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast. On this podcast, we like to talk about uh, games. Um, today is a tabletop episode because uh, this actually came as a result of a conversation that I probably should have read back or whatever, but I said something along the lines of... Um, you know, so we, we've been off for Hell's Rebels for a couple of weeks, right? Uh, and we're coming back. It's the start of book three or whatever. I had originally said that this session, this first coming back session, was going to have combat in it. Uh, and then um, and then I said the opposite. And so the players were kind of like, oh, I thought you said it was going to have combat, buddy. What's what's up with that? And I said, you know, I was originally going to have some combat, but I stripped that out because I didn't. Uh, it didn't actually add anything to the game. It's literally just like, let's arbitrarily make things take a bit longer for no reason. Um, to which one of my players said, as an FYI, who can ain't arbitrary combat? And then I kind of thought about that for a second because, you know, I honestly kind of... May, like, maybe, I, I I don't know, it's just, like, something I haven't thought about or been thinking about recently um, in the idea of, like, combat as, like, an end in in and of itself, right? Like, just the, the act of fighting in, in the D&D game is a fun thing that people want to do and making arbitrary reasons for that to happen isn't necessarily a bad thing. I don't know. Uh, that So that was what sparked this... That's what sparked all of this. Yeah, well, you know, I I, I think to kind of lead it off, like there there is a, a subset of players, especially who are who are coming to the game specifically for combat. These are 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 famously branded, trademarked Captain Crunches, right? They, they they come to these games so they can swing around their large numbers and you know have the best DPR, and you can only do that if you're having combat. And while um, I don't think anyone would argue that doing that in a context meaningful way is is better than it being arbitrary i think there's a lot of people who would rather have a healthy dose of combat that's arbitrary than eschew that altogether does that make yeah. sense yeah i you know I, I to be honest with you i actually kind of think that um i think that some of this mindset comes from the fact that i've been like rping and wow so often where combat is not a th you know what i mean like there are no systems to take pleasure in therefore w e every combat is you know like an arbitrary combat is just kind of meaningless because it's not a like a story moment therefore you know you see what i'm saying like yeah yeah no absolutely you, 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 you can't take any pleasure in 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 rp combat in the same way that you can when it comes to uh when it comes to D D because you kind of can't get that satisfaction for flexing your systemic uh your like your system muscles or whatever um even though rp combat is a great thing because you know it, it's also another thing that like allows you to be cool like we all like to be awesome right and in kind of getting the creative freedom in order to, to describe that um it's definitely like you know, like it's definitely fulfilling and a lot of fun, especially kind of in the space that you know a game like World of Warcraft gives you, where you know uh, you get to uh, break. You gotta get. You kind of get to like break through barriers to see what's cool and interesting about the like the world and the system that you do play in. If that kind of stuff makes sense. Um, yeah, and, and also in, in World of Warcraft, right, the 
the combat that you go to kind of celebrate and to kind of get that satisfaction out of, that's just like straight up your raids or your PvP or whatever, you know, whatever yeah. your chosen, you know, like core content is, right? Like that, that's where like the system mastery and like, the, you know, and the, in WoW's case, rotation mastery, kind of flexing those muscles is satisfying. It, it's kind of not in... Th- uh, the role-playing section just be like you could systemize the role-playing combat super hard but why would you if you're playing Some people do actually friend of the podcast mark has run a couple of systemized role-playing experiences and uh sorry mark they all suck uh, <laughs> <laughs> well it's just you know it, it's really kind of like not what you're there for if that makes sense yeah no absolutely um, it, it's it's a, you know I, there's a couple of different ways that you kind of handle that that thing and i don't want to like get too much into it because it's obviously like tangential or whatever uh but it really does kind of like it does this thing of like stopping the pacing dead and removing the uh like the tension that it's supposed to create just kind of gets boiled out by this confusion because the systems are almost always inelegant. Uh, like it's really hard to make like a system like that, something that flows naturally into the kind of spirit of posting. And it typically just kind of gets in the way of, of like all of the stuff that you think of as making for, uh, for good combat. And to a certain extent, I almost kind of think the same thing applies to Pathfinder. I think like the biggest counter argument that I could craft, like the best counter argument that I could craft is that, Combat that doesn't serve, like, like yes, arbitrary combat can be satisfying, right? Um, but, like, you should always kind of, that's like a ba- bare minimum thing, right? Like, the best practices is to make it not arbitrary, right? And if you need to, you know, like, if you need to or you want to inject some combat, um, you know, that it's worthwhile to figure out a way to do that. Uh, that reinforces story stuff or adds tension or, you know, even, even, even kinds of combat that are like, it is a grueling process to get from point A to point B, I think hit on that note. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And I, I, so I, I think that's kind of like the, I, I think that's the key is to take your, your otherwise arbitrary contact combat and, and contextualize that. That's how you make it better right like the pack of goblins that you rolled on your table that you know that you have to fight um you know you, you kind of want to emphasize that as being like you know these lands are lawless and dangerous and there are packs of roving goblins that that you might have to deal with like, like that kind of thing yeah. um um and I, I think although i do think that there there is something to be said for like you know if like, there's a kind of a tipping point right like I think I think most players are intelligent enough to see kind of like a a thinly veiled arbitrary combat and and a more central combat. But I do think those e- even even if you do put a little bit of uh, frosting on it, as it were, um, I do think those things have a place, especially um, around things like you know your characters just leveled up and they want a chance to try out their their brand spanking new powers, right? Like that that's that's a thing that kind of everybody wants to do and if you're not gonna have that because you're putting off uh because you know just it just doesn't fit right at the moment having um something there to kind of wet that that uh you know kind of uh, scratch that itch rather um i i think is something important even even if you do have to shoehorn it in a little bit man i don't know how you feel about that part of me actually says that well 
See, part of me agrees. Part of me thinks that that's kind of the right, uh, kind of the right approach. But part of me actually also doesn't, just from the perspective of like, I think there's something to be said for. Well, man, that's actually that's a really good point. That's something I kind of have to like wrap my head around a little bit, because you know, part of me I actually kind of hate those kinds of like blanket empowering moments if that makes sense like i've definitely had that happen before and you can definitely kind of like see through it to a certain extent sometimes in uh especially in like hyper homebrewed or like tailored games um where you know you feel like this combat is built like quote unquote for you um but i guess i almost kind of feel like may and maybe this is idiosyncratic to me but like there's like, I'm a person that thrives on stakes and on tension. And so when I build a combat just to show or just to let my characters be badass for a second, that's not a very tense situation, if that makes sense. Yeah, like, it, 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 you're absolutely right. It, it's not tense, but, but sometimes characters want to feel like badasses, right? It's like, yeah. you know, in, in, in the movie, this is like, the mission that you open on that goes perfectly so you can show that the team is qualified, right? Like that, that type of thing. Player, players do want to feel like they're good sometimes, especially, especially when you can do the sort of thing where like, Hey, that pack of goblins that gave you trouble back at level one, now you're level five and you totally shoved your, your steel toed boots right up their little goblin butts. And it was great. Um, and I, I think that that that's really valuable in letting and letting players kind of like, I, you know, not every game is going to feel that way, right? Like, you want to run a horror campaign, they don't ever need to get that. In fact, they probably should never get that. Yeah. But I, th I, I think in, in your typical kind of noble, bright, high fantasy type of game, I think a, a sprinkling of those moments is important to kind of reinforce the, the, the right type of attitudes. And, and you know, there's... I, I don't know if, like, either of the games we're playing on Roll20 right now really fit that description, um, but I do think there's a place for those games. And I do think that's the vast majority of the way, um, D and D games tend to be run and want to be run, right? Like, um, I think there's a thing to be said for playing deep, dramatic characters, but I also think there's something to be said for playing cool heroes that want to be cool and heroes. See, the thing I, I see, the thing I think about cool heroes that want to be cool is that kind of stuff isn't stuff that should be like, well, I mean, maybe it is, maybe it is. I, I think I'm a little bit more on the fence or on the line of, like, it's cool to give players the tools to let that stuff happen, right? But it's not cool to kind of, like, like, it feels cheap. It feels like you're, uh, uh, it kind of feels like you're cheating almost in order to give the player that moment. I, I, an example of this from a game that we've played might be something like um, suplexing the dragon in the uh, uh, suplexing the dragon in, in Iron, Iron God. Gods. Like it just kind of happened that Colbjorn went first and I got to run in and make my charge, you know, my charging Falcon punch. And that included a trip attempt and that trip attempt got to flip the dragon you know, into range of everybody else and everybody else got all these AOOs and we just like completely beat stick the dragon. Like that was a badass moment. That was a moment where I felt like a hero or whatever. But it's not like Nick put that dragon there for me to feel that purpose. And I think it would have been a little bit disingenuous in a weird way or almost like kind of like 
weirdly insincere, I guess. If that, yeah. if oh, that, oh, I so so sorry. I see what you're saying, and I, I so it's, this is kind of like the inverse of um of, of like GM like this is GM cheating in the other direction. If you if you you know, I I think in I think both ways are, are not great. If you you know you know it, to use another example from a game, I don't think you were in it, but a Kingmaker game that Nick ran. Um, one of the things that we that we were. Ex- uh, exceedingly good at doing was disarming our opponents and taking their weapons. Um, and so um, he had us uh, at one point, we just fought four monks um, and, and, you know, like b- both sides of that equation are not great. And, and I, I wasn't trying to say that you need like shoehorning in arbitrarily, like specialized combat is, is great. No, what I was, we're talking about was like a standard encounter around the time of kind of like when you gain a new power so players get a chance to just see how it works right like you know like if it's a low level encounter right it's a pack of goblins right 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 like you know not tailored so that you'll kill them a lot unless i guess you're playing a hunter with with goblinoids but that's that's even it's it's its own thing or ranger rather not hunter um but um like that that sort of thing to let you like you know um, this actually came up yesterday during, uh, I, I played, uh, my, the 5e game. Oh, your 5th edition game with, yeah. uh, with friends of the podcast through, whatever, all of these people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but, um, so we had just leveled to two and we had, a, we had a full RP day and that's not a problem, but like, um, one thing that, that, uh, that, um, Alexio said to, said to me that, that kind of stuck out was like, oh, uh, you know, no, I didn't not enjoy it, but I wanted to punch something because I wanted to use my new spell and do the cool thing. And I, I could be very sympathetic to that, right? Like, I just hit a new level and I want to fuck around with these cool new mechanics. Now, I think there's also a strong... You, you could make a very strong argument that the right way to, to, to do that is if you're planning on having an R, a full RP day, then, you know... um then you know you don't level your character you don't tell the characters that they've leveled up until right before that or you know after the rp day um but it's also just kind of a thing that that can happen within with, like uh the, the the 5e game we're playing is um it's full homebrew so there's there's less kind of like uh you know story points along the adventure path um and so things kind of tend to go a little bit more the way we direct them than can be with an adventure path so i i think that was a little bit more organic but I, I, I do sympathize with the idea that, you know, when you get new power, you want to try that new power. Yeah. Yeah, so the other thing I, f- I feel like I'm trying to avoid here, uh, and this is actually kind of like a video games thing, but have you ever heard the term content muncher before? I'm not super familiar. Can you... Uh... So the typical... the ter- The term, I guess I was... I was introduced to the term content muncher in the context of Half-Life 2, right? Um, and it's specifically there to describe these kinds of video games where it's like combat, 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 cutscene. Or combat, 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 like, you know, uh, like interactive story moment. And it creates this kind of, um, it creates this kind of like black and white of, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do... Uh, uh, I'm going to to uh, start, I suppose. Um, see, it's like it's like 
I'm going to uh, start and do, I'm going to do all these mechanics things and I'm moving through the world, right? And then at the end of this section of mechanics, I'm going to enter like a discreet and explicit place where only story happens, right? And the way that it, it ends up feeling is like you are kind of keeping the story moments from the player and like gating them behind these grindy or like lengthy combat sections wherein the story the story itself like like stops to a dead halt um the re you know i think half-life kind of fits in this kind of uh, uh i you know i'm not a huge fan of the half-life series or half-life 2 or anything like that though i understand uh, it's kind of like significance in the overall uh, in the overall thing, but like you know how like in Portal, as you're progressing through the levels and you're talking to Glados and there's that kind of like voiceover or whatever, the the story progresses in a much more like t in tandem way rather than kind of separating it out like oil and water. And so when you separate it out like oil and water, you kind of have this content muncher problem, right? And the effect was uh, the effect was once described to me as the idea of like trying to read a book where the pages are stuck together. And so every time you want to turn the page and see the next part of the story, you have to like like you have to like rip them apart and that takes all of this time and like it's just like that's like a like a frustrating experience. And I think that that kind of content munchiness is also like another lens that you could kind of view this stuff through if that makes sense yeah yeah that, that makes perfect sense um i and i i think um i know i think i think tabletops tend to fall victim to that um a lot more easily than than video games do because they're they're like combat just takes so much longer in in tabletops that, that i can't help but feel like feel like it's being separated out in, in a lot of ways yeah and you know i i do have to say that um uh i think there is something to be said for like well-designed combat that is like that isn't necessarily like a story moment or anything but it kind of has its own like pacing and its own beat in a weird way like i think there is something satisfying about like you know you start the fight you kind of test out what your opponents can do, and then you figure out their weakness and then beat them, right? Like, th this is kind of how certain of these, uh, you know... I use this a lot to... Um, like, I use this a lot to show you guys a tough monster and then show you guys the same tough monster a little bit later. You Like, this is kind of what the Shroud Devils are there for. One Shroud Devil is really, really dangerous when you don't know how they work, but, like, as you figure out how they work and then you can kind of beat them, you can go up against multiple of them, and that's... Uh, and it's, like, and it's satisfying that, like, you kind of learned that process. But you can actually also do that kind of thing inside of the fight, if that makes sense, where it's, like... I don't quite know how this monster works, but we figure out how the monster works in the middle of the fight and then we kill it kind of thing. Um, and there's there's kind of its own, like there's almost like its own like, you know, exposition, rising action, climax, you know, falling action kind of arc to those fights. And when you try and inject story moments into that, it, it actually disrupts that flow explicitly. Which is kind of a weird. I'm just kind of counteracting my other point, but you know, whatever. No, I, I, I think it's fair on both sides, right? Like it, it, it's always kind of a, a balance, right? There are times when, when like trying to shove too much story into in, into the combat is going to take away from the combat and vice, vice versa. 
But there are moments when they can work together and, and it shines. Um, because that's, that's essentially saying a whole lot of nothing, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I actually kind of don't think there's any right answer. And I think that it's important to kind of consider all of the things, right? Like, I feel like I, I feel like it was important for Jimmy to remind me that arbitrary combat can be valuable because I was, I, you know, I feel like I've been stripping combat out maybe. Um, and, uh, and it's important to, to kind of like take a step back and consider, well, you know, maybe I should, you know, I should slide it back in there. Right. Um, um I think it also depends on the type of game, right? Like I don't think hell's rebels is a game that, anybody kind of expects arbit like I, I don't think people play hell's rebels to to stretch their like for those same reasons right like yeah we, we, we know we're playing this kind of high intrigue game for the high intrigue and we, and we kind of knew from the outset that combat was going to be kind of a a, a a it was going to be at the very least less prominent than it is in, in other D games you've played and i i think that's fine um but I also think that that you know that, that, that there is, um, there there is a call for for some of it. So I don't know. Again, that, that that's a whole lot of nothing. But um, I I would say don't feel too like uh don't feel like you know you all of a sudden have to go adding all this combat back in because <laughs> yeah I well I mean I don't really plan on doing anything like that but. Uh... Uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I just kind of think I feel like combat needs to serve more, you know, like it needs to serve more of a purpose. And that, like, if that, per if, like, you can justify that purpose, even if you can justify that purpose in the sense of, like, they just leveled and I want to give them a chance to play with their toys, right? You know, like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to drive them to the toy store, have them pick out their new favorite toy, and then keep it from them for two weeks, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. that, I think I think that's a very good. Uh, I think that's a very good call. Um, and like the one of the, you know, like a good way to kind of uh, a good way to kind of frame it. But uh, I also, I mean, I, well, I also want to avoid the kind of thing where like combat becomes monotonous or droney because. You know, you lose. I mean, to a certain extent, this is almost what we've always complained about. We've referenced this like a million times on the podcast, but this is almost what we've complained about when it came to the uh, to the tournament. The, the tournament is that all of that combat kind of got to a point where you know, because like when the combat was slowing the story down to a crawl, because we just had to chew through all of these arena fights. Um, you know, there that that was a disengaging experience, right? Like that was something that kind of like uh, uh, lowered the overall amount of immersion, and it just threw the pacing out of whack. Um, and you know, part of that is maybe the fights themselves were just like not properly built encounters. Like maybe there's a way in which the fights are shorter, but you get you get some story time, some investigation time, kind of. Uh, like maybe, you know, two hours of like you, you open on, you open on one of these fights and you end on one of the things just to kind of like keep the clip up. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how you really. So, so I, I think so. So uh, the, the thing that popped into my mind is like tournament arcs in, in animes because, you know, that's, that's what we should model all over D and D after is anime. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, I want you to know, I think the only tournament, Oh, you know what? I actually have two good, 
tournament arcs. I was thinking the Dragon Ball Z tournament arc where uh, uh, they have two tournaments back to back right at the beginning of the Majin Buu saga. Do you remember this? Did I have watch never watched any Dragon Ball Z. So What? Yeah. Mango. Uh. Well, what? What was your other example? <laughs> God. Never once. Well, okay, they had. So the thing is, they had this part where Goku dies, and he goes and he participates in in, in a uh, in a tournament in the spirit world, and then he immediately like comes back to Earth, where they have another tournament right afterwards, and it's like forty episodes back to back of just tournament fights, um, which makes me think, uh, you know, it's kind of legendary in terms of that trope. But the other example is the tournament arc at the end of Zoid's Battle Center if you've ever seen that i mean the whole the whole show is a tournament but they have uh uh like a like the major major tournament at the very very end the last couple of episodes uh i would say it's probably a good execution on the tournament arc okay uh, see now now that i've got so the the one that pops immediately to my mind is one that gets um has a fairly good reputation is the um the tuning exams in naruto if if you're familiar familiar with I that at all, I'm not familiar with Naruto at all. Um, that's that that's fine. Um, but essentially, the, this very central arc is people fighting against each other is kind of like their final ninja exams to graduate to the next level. Um, and I think they actually did it like. So I think if you watched it while it was coming out, it wasn't so bad. But I kind of watched it all at once. Um, and it's a lot of like. Things happening, and then people standing around and pontificating for a little bit to explain their motivations. I think that's bad. But I, I have seen it in other ways um, where, like, you know, maybe either the start of the episode or, like, maybe a fight will take place over two episodes. And the first episode will be getting to know the opposing team and, like, understanding who they are and what they are. And then the next episode's the actual fight. Or, you know, you split the episode half and half and you do that. I think that's kind of the right way to do a tournament. Is, you know, huh. if we had spent an episode getting to know Hydemark Academy, um, that way we had a lot of context into what this fight was. Um, and, you know, you can you can make some of the fights just like, oh, this is another fight you need to fight, right? Like, in... It, by uh, by way of analogy, in an anime, that would be the fight that you that kind of just happens very quickly off screen, and somebody wins it. But then you can also give some of these fights deeper meaning, right? Like maybe uh, like we we had one of these. One one of the groups was kind of um, a, a bad group of people and was was allied with the darker elements of the city, but we didn't really get like a lot of that direct tie in. Uh, we got a little bit of it. We got them trying to kill us. And whatever, but like I, I think you kind of need the 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 setup of like, you know, and tomorrow, you'll not only you'll be feeling something more than pain, or you know, so something yeah. like that to to kind of like raise the stakes of of the fight in in a bunch of, in, in a couple different ways. Okay, yeah, I, I I'm actually with you. I you know I do have to say that I kind of think that uh, the. The Zoids Battle Century anime that I was talking about, the whole thing is a tournament, right? Like, it's one of those things where, like, um, you know, it's one of those anime where it's kind of like a season of, like, a like sports. Like, there's, like, the main part, which is the regular season, and then the last couple of episodes are basically the playoffs and the Super Bowl kind of thing. Um, and But you, they, do, they definitely do that kind of thing where the first half of the episode is just 
the, the heroes go to a bar and in the bar they meet the lightning sisters and the lightning sisters are, you know, like they're cocky, but also honorable or whatever. And, you know, they're like, ha, we've never been beaten in the arena. You know, like get ready to be, you know, and our lovable heroes beat them in the arena. And then the last five minutes of the episode is, wow, we never thought you would beat us in the arena kind of thing. And so like each one of those little fights kind of as like, a, like, let's introduce you to some characters. Let's make the fight about something a little bit more than just the fight itself, right? Like making somebody cocky and, and getting kind of shown up for it, right? Or, you know, one of the teams members doesn't trust someone else and they lose the fight because of that distrust right like and i think it does though it does all of those kinds of things that work really well in the tournament inside of every like episode and it's a pretty great model for how one might go about that kind of quote-unquote like arbitrary combat of uh um, of the tournament it, it's also one of those things and i love that they do this it's um it's one of those anime where the characters get built up and they get upgrades and they get better and better and better but the back half of the anime is about stripping them down back down to like the component pieces of it where it's like this zord or whatever gets destroyed this zoid this zoid gets destroyed and that zoid gets destroyed and that zoid's upgrades are spent on whatever and so the very final fight is at the is at the very bottom you know like it's at the stuff that they started out with um and i think that kind of progression up and down is something that could be better utilized in a D&D kind of setting where like, um, you know, maybe in, in a version of this where uh, you get tournament specific, you know, buffs and consumables or weapons that change how your stuff works or whatever. Um, like you can play around with that kind of stuff in order to make the, like the, 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 in order to give the tournament itself its own like mini progression outside of the just the like the regular progression of me leveling up and getting loot, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I I, I see what you're saying. Because if a tournament is just a snippet of you know is it's just a snippet of a campaign and a campaign has just like a linear, uh, like a slow linear sloping upwards, you know, um, line, then then having something to kind of like having a more complete kind of arc in how you get upgrades and everything and what tangible like what tangible rewards you get for every single fight might be a good way to kind of get past some of that stuff. Yeah, that that, that absolutely makes sense. Um Yeah. Um yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. No, I, I, I'm just gonna, I was gonna say I, I don't know how we got so deep in on tournaments, but I think I think tournaments is is actually a really good example of combat for combat's sake. Um, it's a thing that everybody's kind of like, oh boy, we're gonna be the best, but I, I think I think they are very hard to execute on um, properly. You know what I think would be a great tournament, and I almost want to like set a challenge for myself to do this, uh, but I don't really know that this would ever make sense at all ever. In um uh. <laughs> in uh, in Hell's Rebels, but I think a version of a mega dungeon that's a tournament uh, works would work wonders. Um, like I kind of like the idea of like everybody shows up and it's a one day tournament, right? And so there's a tension towards well, what of my resources am I willing to spend where? Ooh, right okay like yeah. there like there's always that kind of there's always that kind of tension towards a dungeon right where it's like well do i want to open with this level three spell or do i want to try and save this for a boss right but when you do that stuff 
on top of a tournament, it actually kind of puts into very high relief and really just highlights um, super, super bright spotlights. Uh, I'm just going to stop using metaphors to describe this, but um, it, 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 I, I think that would be a great way of kind of getting around some of the fatigue that comes with it. I yeah. guess. And because a dungeon is already built that way. But, like, the point of a dungeon is always about the kind of, like, the slow progression, you know, like, the, the plotting slow progression through the space a lot of the time, right? And uh, and I think that is what elevates it as just kind of, you know, it gets out of, like, combat for combat's sake. I mean, plus it also, you know, dungeons also allow you to, like, oh, I'm going to read all these notes and we're going to try and figure out, you know, the story of Lilu, the fucking random ghost halfling or whatever, you know, all this other stuff, but... I also think that gives you a lot of opportunity to kind of, like, play around with, with little bits and pieces. Like, you know, in a tournament, not only are you trying to conserve your resources, but the other teams are too. And maybe in between fights, you go watch the other fights. Or you talk to the other teams about what they had to do to beat the other teams. Maybe your best friends got knocked out in the first round, and they can tell you what the what the other team expects when you have to do some diplomacy to get that out of them that, that kind of thing yeah. right like yeah definitely and i think holding it all I, I think you're right like doing it mega dungeon style keeping it all in one day is good because you one you, you you don't like i, I think the danger kind of with 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 with, uh, with the rune lords tournament arc was that it went on for so much real time um and keeping that as like a mega dungeon to a day um, kind of really sidesteps that problem. It still allows you to have that kind of like real, you know, like, oh, now it's combat time. Time to get our combat on and swing swords. And you know, and I really have ass. to say something that, man, this, this idea, I really would love to play in a one day tournament arc. Because I actually think there's a lot of other other cool questions that you can kind of have, like, strategically. Like, what happens if your rivals pay a bunch of thugs to go beat you up in the locker room, right? Are you... Are you going to spend resources there? You know what I mean? Like, how many spell slots do I want to burn on the random thugs that aren't going to get, you know, like, that aren't going to reward me any progression or whatever? Um, you know, you can do you can do stuff like that. You can do stuff like, uh, 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 you know, like, maybe I spend my time between fights trying to, like, oh, you know, like, sabotage someone else's gear so they can't get a replay. You know what I mean? Like, because because everything is so immediate, it's all happening inside of that, like, that really short one-day time period, it really sends the stakes through the roof because everything has a huge effect. With the tournament arc, even if I got brought low in, in like, investigating the conspiracy, it didn't matter because I showed up to the fight later and I was at full health anyway because why wouldn't the healers just, you know, hit me with all of these cure spells, right? Um, but that's not really how I don't know. I don't know. That's, yeah, uh, no. I, I also I also think that something that's cool that's cool about tournaments um, is that there's less dire circumstances if you lose, so the stakes are a little bit realer. Right, like, there's always this kind of thing where, like, there's the balance between how much can you really lose a D&D campaign without it, like, ending. You can take second, third, fourth place in the tournament and have it not affect the overall story. So you so you can you can actually have, like, much tougher t combat encounters around that. Um, not, not that there are other ways to handle that kind of thing in a regular game as, in, you know, in regular play as well. 
but I think I think it, something you can really highlight is like really, really trying to like jamming it to your players, right? Like, you know, um, you know, you as the GM, you can really play against your players to win and have that be okay. Um, and I, I think that's that's another interesting um, unexpected thing. Man, do I agree with you? Holy shit, that's so true. You can also do little things too, like you know, like for instance, maybe if somebody goes down in like one of the fights, they're just out for the for the rest of them. You know what I mean? Like that's a huge. I mean, I, I think to a certain extent that sort of thing would suck, but it really adds a ton of stakes because it's like, do I sacrifice myself for the team, right, so that we progress, but also it's going to be handicapping us because I'm going to be in the you know the losers box for the rest of the night um kind of thing and you got to get into that you like this is how you get into trouble with the kind of like well what does arahe do from the stands because she got murked in the first two rounds of uh of this tournament fight but man i just i don't know i think there's i think there's a lot that you can do with it and i think this is really illustrating illustrating the point of like you can make it work for you in the right context um and it's all about putting that kind of stuff in the right context so that it really does, uh, I don't know, so that it really does work for your for your game without losing the pacing and losing, you know, you don't you don't have to trade them. I guess is yeah, point, it, right? like uh, you know, you can trim the fat around your campaign without throwing the baby out with the bath water and getting rid of too much combat, right? Like you know, you you can make the gut like you know. You can make the trip to from one city to another meaningful by putting combat encounters in them, and you can make those combat encounters feel tough and meaningful. And maybe you know, maybe they're just brigands on the road, but they they build they build the world, and you know, you don't ha you don't have to cut that off just because it's not driving a main story point forward and, and the like. Um, and you can have random packs of goblins that your adventurers fight because they they like feeling. Like, they can kick goblin ass. Um, but on the same token, you probably don't want to have them fight a, a dozen of them on the, between point before you, your next story beat, because then you're going to get lost in the weeds. Oh, yeah, you know, I have a, I, man. Yeah, I also think to a certain extent that part of uh, the problem with kind of like, arbitrary see part of part of the thing i think with like quote-unquote arbitrary combat is um the disconnect a lot of the times between kind of more story focused stuff and more uh, uh like like more more harsh combat focused stuff right like i think if there's a version um yeah, so I so I think if there's a version of combat where like you systemize stakes in such a way, you can actually support basically any combat ever just by having the right kind of systems at play for keep for making everything like a like uh, impactful from a story perspective. What I mean, um, the the example that I'm that I'm that I'm I guess um, 
wrapping my head around is uh, is the other day I was fielding the idea of kind of like an Oregon Trail game, right? Where the idea is, you know, you are part of a caravan, right? And it is the gru- you know, it is the grueling day-to-day process of being on that caravan, right? Going out and hunting for food, right? Uh, fighting, well, I mean, you know, Indian savages, kind of like whatever, who are your raiders, uh, who are trying to kill you and steal all of your shit and everything like that. And I think a version of that, where you have kind of the caravan um, systemized in such a way as to make any combat encounter, like, ambiently lethal, but, like, not in a combat way, but, like, in a, you know, if you lose this combat, right, or if you choose not to go here... You lose valuable resources. Some timer ticks up, right? If you don't go and get the, you know, if you don't go and get the food, people starve and die, right? Like, all of that kind of stuff means that you can just throw random encounters in there and just kind of wear the the, the party down. And just because you've constructed, like, it, it, this is one of those things where it's like, I have built such a good story structure that I can just throw combat whenever I feel like it, whenever it, whenever I want, in whatever circumstance, and it always is impactful on multiple levels. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. Um, in a weird way, I actually kind of feel bad now because as I'm describing this, uh, I think there's a way that I could have done this by massively rewriting the Rebellion rules. Um, uh I, I think that that's, you still have a danger there, right? Like, you can't e- – even though it – like, I feel like in practice, though, you can still have a little bit too much arbitrary nothingness. Even, even if it just serves to tick up, tick up the timer, um, or rather, if it only serves to tick up the timer, I think you do run the risk of that just feeling like a very disconnected metric and, and it, it very kind of transparently being like, oh, we need to do X number of things today. I, I think it's a fine line to tread. Yeah, you're right. I do think that it is. Uh, I do think that it is a fine line to tread, and I think that it also is something that could really work in a very sandbox campaign. I think you could make uh, this kind of thing work um, in a uh, uh, in a game like Skulls and Shackles from the opposite perspective, right? Like the 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 Oregon Trail perspective is kind of like. I'm going to throw, I'm going to throw stuff at you. I'm going to throw more at you than you can handle, right? Um, And you have to kind of pick and choose your battles uh, and take some of the consequences along with it. And that's a negative thing, but it's a negative thing that reinforces the kind of overall atmosphere and theme of that game being like a grueling slog to get from point A to point B and how that process itself is, uh, is you know, can it like be interesting and compelling. But you can do that in the opposite perspective in, um, in a sandbox campaign where it's kind of like, okay, you guys have the pirate ship, right? Now... I'm I'm going to throw all these options at you. You can't take every single one of them, right? But here's all these different trade routes that have trade ships or, you know, leads that you have on on ships that you can pirate or, you know, bases that you can go plunder, you know, all of that other kind of stuff um, and have the combat be, be like, you know, it, it's still bare bones, but because the players are opting into it and they're choosing to go that route, uh, it isn't arbitrary, just kind of on the virtue of that choice. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, yeah, I, I, I feel like that makes sense. I, I, I agree. Uh, though you know there are other obviously I you know I also kind of have other issues when it comes to uh, stuff like that uh, like that Oregon Trail game I get a little bent out of shape and to be a certain you know and and we had an argument about this and I'm not really sure where I stand on it after kind of like all of the opinions got put down um, but it feels like um, that. It feels like that kind of game gets ruined just because there are mechanics that, like, because D&D isn't really built to tell that specific a story, I almost feel like I have to remove the ways in which D&D inherently allows shortcuts for that kind of thing, right? The most obvious example is teleport, right? Why why do you need to take this grueling caravan um, when teleport is a thing kind of thing, Um but I don't know. I don't, uh... Yeah. I, so I, I I think that I think that Tippyverse arguments. Um, for those at home who do not know, the Tippyverse is a is a um is a theoretical world where all all of every magic is commonplace, so that um everybody just uses circles of teleportation for all their major transportation, um, etc. etc. It it was made by somebody I think whose username was Mister Tippy, um. But I think that those things, I, I don't, I really don't think that those are real problems if you consider kind of how rare, say, magic is supposed to be in the world um, or, 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 the, or that kind of thing, right? Like, I, you know, teleport can get a party somewhere pretty quick, but a whole caravan of people, um, a whole caravan of like low-level commoners, do you think they're going to be able to afford that much teleport? I, I don't think that that's likely. Um, and I think, I think that keeping it in those terms makes it very doable. I don't, I don't think there's, I don't, I, I tend to disagree with you with, with, with these kind of problems. Cause while there's it's very easy for a party to do a lot of things, I don't think it's easy for like a group of civilians to do a lot of things. And I think throwing them into the mix kind of puts it right there where you want it. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's definitely a thing. I think that, so the the point that I was also kind of making to counter that to a certain extent was there's a difference between, he, there's tension here because I am in danger, right? And there's tension here because someone I care about is in danger, right? Like, you know, um, I think this kind of comes into play in, like, Superman stories, right? Like, when Superman stories are about how Lois Lane is in danger and Superman... Like, the threat isn't to Superman, it's to her. There's still tension in that, but it's a different kind of tension than when Superman himself is in danger, right? Like, you know... Like, Zod, General Zod, has all of the powers of Superman. He can kill Superman. That is a dangerous person for Superman to be fighting, right? So, there's a personal, like, there's a personal stake to that. But Lex Luthor is, you know, it's, he's not, well, unless you give him, like, the power suit or whatever. He's not the, the, uh... uh he's not a danger directly. And, and, yeah. and so, and, and so... Parsing out the difference between those two types of tension is like a valuable is a valuable kind of thing to me. And I think the thing that I fear about the one half of that is the idea that this kind of thing kind of like comes with the caravan dragging down the party almost, right? Like the party could just, you know, 
cast you know the, the party has a fifth level or well I, I you know cast can cast level five spells he can cast you know teleport whatever it is uh they can go buy a scroll of teleport get to the end destination leave the caravan to go fuck itself right um and to make that where the caravan is something that you want to carry in your backpack you know through a six book campaign right um versus a you know a 200 person lead weight that you're chaining to their ankles kind of you know what i mean i think those those like making the difference between those two things is not something that i think would be very easy uh, uh, i i think that they're i don't know i also feel like there there's there's kind of um a, a disconnect in like like, you know, if they have somebody who can cast a fifth-level spell, that means that they're, what, level nine at least? That's the point at which, like, mundane things are supposed to be kind of getting easy, right? Like, getting from point A to point B is supposed to be a relatively easy thing to do. Um, Getting, like, you know, you can't do that when you're level three. You can certainly be hired to escort a wagon from point A to point B when you're level three. Um, I, I, I think that's just, a, it's just a matter of framing, keeping it right. I mean, I, I, by no means do I think the Pathfinder system is perfect or, or any of the D and D's, but I, I don't think it says, I, I don't think the magic in the universe ruins it as much as, as, as you think it does sometimes. I mean, you know, so the, so my perspective on this stuff is that that stuff is there as something of like, a. uh. It's because games don't typically focus on this stuff, right? Like, as you crest from, you know, kind of those single-digit to double-digit levels, I think the game naturally builds you to kind of get, you know... In in D&D 4th Edition, they, they describe the first 10 levels as, you know, you're going to save your village, right? Then the next 10 levels are, you're going to save your kingdom. And then the next 10 levels are, you're going to save the world, right? Um, and I think that kind of progression naturally happens but i think this is a game where you want to keep the progression all the way from level one to level 20 in that same your your goal is getting from point a to point b and stuff is going to get tougher right but that context never changes and so because you know because i need to move from saving you know saving my town to saving my kingdom to saving my world all of those mundane things get stripped away and i now can create feasts and i can create you know i can spawn a hotel you know with fucking like room service and valets overnight or whatever it is uh with kind of that uh uh you know that like making those things easy is to facilitate the typical rhythm of a DD game progressing from the, the that small scale to that large scale but in a DD game where i want to keep it small scale for as long as possible i have to strip out those amenities otherwise it trivializes things you know what i mean i uh, see i i think that that, that you, you're gonna lose like a fundamental feeling of progress too right like at level one it should be harder to feed the caravan than at level five right it it should if you can regularly keep the caravan fed at level one then it shouldn't be nearly as much of a problem when you get to level five. That, that's, that's kind of like the way that progress is supposed to go. And if you don't... Right, right, right. But I think that you... Well, so so here's the other thing is I think you can also reflect that in other ways, right? Like me going out and killing a, you know, a level, a CR1 elk 
right, is going to feed less people than me going out and defeating a, you know, a Bulit or whatever, however you pronounce that, right? One of these is a medium creature. The other one is a huge creature. I can't take on the Bulit or whatever, but it's going to give the caravan way more meat. You know, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, but, but I think the way that you, like... I don't see how how like the, the these these convenience spells really get rid of that right like you know the 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 Beulite, uh, I don't know how to what you're referring to um like you don't know the Beulite? like the the land shark creature oh like it's like a famous D D monster I always thought that was like bullet. Like I thought, is the, it bullet? I I, I, I I could I don't know. I've only ever read it, so who knows? Yeah, I've only ever read it too, so I'm just making it up. Um, but anyway, the, the land Fine, shark. The, yeah, the, yeah, the land shark. Right? Um, um, if if the the land shark, you know, the land shark is still gonna feed more people than the level three like tasteless gruel spell. Um, and I I think that like you know, yo, yes, if you hit a dry patch, the cleric can spend his three level three spells making tasteless gruel. And that gets your caravan through the day, but they're not happy about it. And it's not as good, but you're still going to pick the, the, the land shark when you can. Um, and, and I don't, I don't think you eat, I don't know. I, I feel like those, those problems are less, I don't know. I, I, I feel like we should sit down and like write out all these problems that you have and, and really get into the nitty gritty about like why they are and aren't problems. And that, that might be a little bit Yeah, I mean, tedious, you know, but... so the, that, I, def, I definitely feel that. And, like, for instance, the, the problems that I was having with Overland Flight, when you actually break down Overland Flight and how it works, really aren't all that – they're not all that problematic. Yeah, we never, uh, we never actually said this. The initial problem that Buddy had was that he was afraid that Overland Flight would trivialize – player movement is that right yeah so my so here's my here's my here's my thing right like in my mind i'm imagining like a kind of radius around the caravan of like how, what what radius can the players affect of the land around them and it starts small and it gets bigger you know what i mean like maybe the players pick up some mounts or kind of whatever uh so they can ride farther um and my fear was that with overland flight all of a sudden your radius just explodes you know what i mean like it's gonna take the caravan another six days in order to get to you know the fort or whatever but the players can fly back and forth to the fort or you know without any without any trouble and so all of a sudden all of the distance gets kind of trivialized but when you actually look at the amount of ground um that can be covered by the overland flight spell the ways that it benefits a party like that first of all it's personal so it only affects the one player uh second of all it really doesn't go that much faster than regular movement um uh and uh uh like the big benefit is that you could just kind of use it to maybe like circumvent something like mountains or forests or any other any of those kinds of things and i do have problems with it on those levels but they're not quite as exacerbated as like the idea that you know we cast overland flight on ourselves and, you know, fly to a town that's nowhere nearby to get the medicine that little Susie needs to recover from her snake bite. You know what I mean? Like, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and, stuff, right? and, and, or, or just the idea of, like, I fly to the town and I have thousands and thousands of gold pieces. And so I buy hundreds and hundreds of meals, put them all in my handy haversack, and I fly, you fly back, right? Like, 
That is the perfect version of trivialization that I would want to avoid in this kind of game. Sure. But I, I, and and you know and you can imagine situations where where that kind of stuff does happen and the powers do get out of hand. But I think there are I, I think so so just for for full context the, the the way that you initially posed it was like getting rid of overland flight, but I think there are better ways to solve that problem. Right? Like like the example you gave, you know, something happens at the caravan while the people are out or the town doesn't have a hundred meals to put in your handy haversack or whatever, right? Like I, I, I don't think the right answer is, is kind of stripping out potential power from the players before they even get their hands on it. It's well, so it's, it's less about stripping out potential power as much as it is limiting the choices a little bit. So to me, I don't like being punitive with this kind of right. stuff either, right? Like the, the idea that if the players go off and then the caravan gets attacked while they're gone, that just feels really, like, mean, <laughs> like, in a weird way to me. You know what I mean? Like, well, so, so I don't think it's mean if that's, like, the, like, like, if that's telegraphed as a possibility, right? Like, if the land is rabid with goblins, like, you know, leaving the caravan's going to be a problem and you risk that being a problem. Right. And maybe that means that half the party goes off to try and get the medicine while the other half has to fight off a goblin invasion or whatever. Um, and, you know, obviously the, the specific implementations of that can be can be tricky. But I, I think that, um, and, and like I said, th there are other ways to solve that problem, too. Right. There's no guarantee that when you get to the town that you're going to, that there's going to be exactly what you need. Um, and I think in some ways, some of that's also like, you know, in, in your medicine example, right? Like, you know, maybe little Susie in the caravan is dying. And if you don't get to town to town before before now um, or, you know, before a certain date, she's going to die of dysentery. But you know what? The mage took overland flight and he's burning all of his high level spell slots to cast overland flight and get that medicine to her. I think that's just, I think that is an appropriate reward for that expenditure of resource. So, yeah, so uh, my problem with the town not having the stuff is then, then little Susie's just fucked, right? right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, okay. it's not so, even so, like, oh, will little Susie survive the three days for us to get to town? No, because there's no medicine there anyway. Like, <laughs> you know yeah, well, I mean? life sucks on the Oregon Trail. <laughs> I mean, hey, I think that's also, I yeah, think no. that's also kind of part of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I also think that, um, so for instance, I think that in an Oregon Trail kind of game like this, you have to get rid of things like bags of holding. Yeah, I think um, I can agree with that. You know, and so there's other stuff that I do feel like you do have to prohibit and then overland flight was just like the case has been made to me that overland flight was a poor target but that doesn't mean that i shouldn't rejigger some of the aspects of this campaign in order to kind of nail it into a a, a, a specific you know in, in order to kind yeah, of like no, nail uh, it into this mold uh, that it needs to be into uh, it's absolutely. just about parsing out what needs to be you know what needs to be stripped what needs to not be stripped right it's the same thing as like kind of in this game where i've effectively stripped out uh kind of like charm and suggestion spells none of you guys have taken it um but there's a lot of stuff in here there's actually a lot of stuff in the written version of the book where people are dominated or they're charmed uh, into doing things and I almost universally got rid of that stuff and instead just gave them a reason for why they would do it 
You know what I mean? Like, that's just... Yeah, it, it, playing an intrigue game where the intrigue has been solved by Charm Person, which is like a level two spell, is uh, is really yeah. not interesting. And I think that you know, in the in so in the same way that I kind of car- you can kind of carve out those things of like, okay, you can use magic to solve your your problems diplomatically, but you have to be clever about it, right? You can't just cast a spell to solve the problem. In a regular D and D game, that actually kind of makes some sense because the See, diplomacy isn't really the focus. Um, See, even even then though, like right, like. Frankly, the reason that, you know, I, you know, I, I think we've avoided charm spells and rules, we have to interact with these people. Like, charms, like, you know, the big disadvantage to a charm spell is the person knows they've been charmed at the end of the spell, right? That works in a regular D&D campaign because you're usually, like, 15 miles away and you never see the person again. That's fair. Like, in, that's, that's okay. in, in this that's campaign, if I, if I charmed, like, a shopkeep or, like, say, heaven forbid, one of, one of the heads of household, they'd never want to talk to us again. Right, like that's that's its own kind of, I think, limiting factor, and, and, and that's kind of why what I mean when like, I so personally, I prefer to look to other ways to limit those mechanics than than limiting them on the on the offset. But I do understand the um the the benefit and the desire to 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 just kind of like nip those in the bud from the start. But um I don't know, I I prefer other ways. Um, but I I. Yeah, I think both approaches are valid and fair. Yeah, I mean, I you know, to be honest, I I think there's something that feels bad about saying this kind of stuff is prohibited, right? I kind of appreciate it. Uh, like maybe it would be better phrased as just kind of like, can you do me a favor and not take this stuff that would break yeah, the game? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, th- because that's kind of what's going on, really. Um, yeah, because it, it it feels worth to say, oh, this is prohibited, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. I you know I've never really announced that I've you know that these diplomacy spells are prohibited or anything like that. It's just kind of never come up. But in my mind, I really don't. I in my mind, I've done my very best to strip because it, it's mostly happened on the back end where the book tells me that this person is charmed or dominated or whatever else, and I want to remove that. Yeah. I you know I also think that stuff is better for character in most situations. There are a couple where it works, um, but you know, yeah, yeah. There's only so many times when the answer could be like, "Oh, the nice man was dominated, and that's why he was mean." Before it feels old. Uh, yeah, exactly. And uh, you know, and I also uh, I think there's something to be said for uh, like doing that like arc of like, "Oh, well, I was charmed." Or whatever, I was dominated, and now I want to get my revenge because they made me do all this shit that I didn't want to do. And there's like tension and drama to that. Like, yeah, okay, that you know that works, but that works once. You can't do literally. You can't do anything else with that. You can't have two characters have that arc. And I think that that arc is the only way that uh, I, I see it's the only way that it works. Yeah, I feel that. All right. Anyway, well, that's we, our thought about, I guess, just random all of the, yeah. the, a lot of D&D stuff. <laughs> yeah, we, we got away from the core topic pretty quick, but I think that's okay. Um, uh, speaking of D&D stuff, um, I want to talk a little bit about something I did this week. Um, and it wasn't a tabletop game, oh and it wasn't a video game. Oh boy. It was a movie, but it was a movie about tabletop games. I watched The Gamers 2, Darkness Rising. I believe is the full title. And, buddy, I think you need to see this movie. It is a very, very... It's... 
it's a bad movie, but it's also like it's like a low budget movie, right? Like it's it's like a movie you would have shot in like high school or at like it's it's like a YouTube movie, but like before YouTube movies had production values, right? Like I think like a okay. a mid aughts um, YouTube movie, and it's uh, it's it's not on YouTube, but it's like made by a YouTube group. Um, it's an hour and a half long, but the thing that I found super compelling about it is it's. On the one side, you have these caricatures of power gamers. And the other side, you've got this caricature of a fluffy DM. And you have, <laughs> you literally have, like, people yelling at each other. It's like, there are, you know, it was like, the rules say I can do this. It's like, no, you can't because I said so and I'm the GM. And it's just like, and, you know, it, it, it's kind of like that microcosm of the argument that we sometimes have back and forth. But in like the most hilarious way, um, it, it it's a comedy film. It's it's so to, to give you a little background. It's it's a group playing a D and D campaign, and it switches between them around the table and their characters. You know, in in the game, acting it out, or like their characters appear on screen as like you know, like the movie within the movie is the game, as it were. Um, and it's like I said, very low production quality. Very kind of cheesy, but it's it's uh, it's a lot of fun and and kind of really touches the heart of a lot of tropes that we talk about on this show. So I would recommend it to you on that front. You know, don't don't go expecting, uh, you know, a Martin Scorsese film, but it's it's fun for what it is. Fair enough. Uh, I guess that's. You know, it's actually kind of funny. I went to a party recently with a couple of my friends, and it, I, I have a friend. He plays D and D, and he plays some other stuff. Um, but uh, because, uh, uh, but like you know, he's a big board game guy, and his term for rules lawyer is rules baron, and it it's like a, and I, I, it just got me thinking about how the term rules lawyer has always like it's the way that we've always described this person, and it's always described in kind of like well, you're not wrong, but like we hate you and you're an asshole kind of thing like the way that you would think about about a lawyer but the way that he talks about a rules baron is like like a like an omnicidal tyrant right like <laughs> and i just thought it was really funny the way that uh the way that we were getting into kind of you know just just like the word association itself like the cheeky nickname that we have for these kinds of people has a different connotation for how they behave um and, kind of, and it was funny because, like, he mentioned how, like, if you bring a game to his, like, board game night and it's your board game, you can be a rules baron all you want because it's your game kind of thing. I just thought that was, uh, that was, that was neat. Anyway, uh, what else? I don't know. What else have you been? Uh, we played Rune Lords. We did play Rune Lords. Um, what did we do? There wasn't more combat. It was all RP, I guess. Yeah. It was, it was us talking about what we were going to do. We talked to that demon person. I talked to the goblins you guys talked to other people and now we're heading down the hole right we decided to decided to save sandpoint fuck magnamar um right uh, uh i don't really I, I guess i didn't really see the choice that way but yeah no sure, no i yeah. I, I, am, I am shorthanding it we decided yeah. to prioritize sandpoint over magnamar um because the uh the, the 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 mandarin um is i always remember him as like a fruit because he's the mandarin orange 
Um, <laughs> um, he's he's not a good guy, and he's gonna do some bad stuff. Um, but Sandpoint's also under attack, and we need to deal with source of evil underneath it. Oh no, one one of these things is gonna go not so great. Yeah. Um, <sighs> to a certain extent, I'm glad that we're finally getting into the Sandpoint. Uh, you know, like like Sandpoint always felt like. You know, Mark has always talked about it, it being his favorite part and, like, reincorporating it and everything. And I, I'm kind of glad that we're, like, here and also getting into the Rune Lord stuff. But it also, sh- like, puts in very sharp relief for me how little I understood about all of this stuff in the first yeah. place. Like, Rune Lords really does not, you know, uh, it, it really doesn't have, like, that same kind of... Um, like through line that you can track and trace. Uh, I don't know how how good or bad I think that is. Um, so 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 speaking as someone who's done, I haven't read the entire Adventure Path, but I I've run my own piece of this game, and I think part of the problem is like it's very like the book goes to great lengths to tell you the GM essentially kind of what's happening behind the scenes, right? But it's supposed to be a thing that like the players eventually piece together. But I don't think it's that obvious or well telegraphed. Um, I think, like, as the GM, you kind of need to recognize that you know, you know, th- this star that keeps popping up everywhere isn't going to be meaningful until it is, and that you, you know, maybe some other hints need to be dropped somewhere along the way. But I, I just don't think it's particularly. I don't think that through line is relative is well telegraphed at all. Um, yeah, yeah, I feel that. Yeah, I, you know, because I'm a big fan of uh, kind of introducing the, you know, I'm a big fan of Barzillai Thrun gives a speech at the end of the first session. You know what I mean? Like, I think that, like, telegraphing right from the get-go, kind of, uh, like, the big, big overarching goal, and then slotting in a bunch of minor, like, well, not minor, but, like, like, progressive goals to get to that point is a really good thing. I don't like the idea that like, you know, you kind of work through the thing and you're finding out that the big bad guy, you like, like when you're, when you're first introduced to the big bad guy at, you know, session 500, um, that feels a little weird, even from like a kind of, I've been the mastermind pulling the strings thing perspective because even from that if i think about it like where or what yeah i don't know like part of me wants to say that like you do this reveal where the person is the big bad and it slots in it's like the missing puzzle piece that makes everything else work you have all of these questions a a similar thing happened in uh, a similar thing happened in hell's rebels with baron rogar right there are these notes that have come to you guys and you've gotten aid and the question was always kind of there but there was not there there wasn't like it's not like you guys were like hardcore investigating or anything like that and then boom halfway through the second book you find out it's baron rogar you know he's trying to keep he 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 needs tension between uh, uh, Bars of Lythrun and the Rebellion, and so he's trying to make sure that the Rebellion doesn't just get, like, 
completely bulldozed uh, in the first five minutes. And it goes back and it fills in these plot holes of who's been sending all of these messages, right? And I feel like you want to have the same thing, but on a much, much bigger scale, right? Where it's seeded all through all of the books and everything. And it's, oh, the whole time it was the Mandarin or whatever. Um, yeah, I, I, so I, I think it's hard to do that. And I think you kind of, in order for that to work, you need to, like, you need your players to be like, well, like, to be constantly asking the question, like, who is doing this? Um, and I think in Rune Lords, we didn't ever ask that. We're just kind of like, all right, what's the next thing to do? I'm sure things will work themselves out in the end, which is kind of the danger I feel with Adventure Pass, is there's kind of this, this kind of resignation. It's like, at some point, I think it's very easy to be like, well, we could kind of get into this real hard or we could get on the train tracks and ride them to the end. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't think that's, that that's anybody's fault so much as it is just like a, 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 a hard thing to do. Yeah. I, I definitely think it's actually something that I even think goes away just from the, uh, because we know it's an adventure path, right? Um, it, that just implies this kind of overarching, like, direction to everything like that. Where if, 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 like, we were running a custom campaign, like a fully custom campaign, there might be train tracks. But, like, if I face you with the choice of, you know, uh, are you going to ally with column A or ally with column B in order to defeat column C, the, it doesn't show you, you like you don't quite know which one of those is the intended path right yeah Where in, whereas in like the adventure path because you kind of have to write out everything up front and uh and you don't have i don't know like just, just, like that that stuff i think that stuff yeah yeah no absolutely with the custom campaign i think you've got more flexibility to kind of bend with the wind and um uh, the, the problem with the pre-written adventure path is that if you do have a choice like you choose a or b the, the choice ends up being like, well, what color is your tunic rather than anything particularly meaningful? Um, it is just, it's just, you know, it would be interesting, but hard to write like an adventure path where you play either book two or book three, depending on the choice you make in book one. But, you know, who's going to want to do what publishing company is going to want to do that and have, and, you know, only sell two out of three books to any particular player. Like... Uh, it, it's it's just a hard thing to do. See, this is why you should just dramatically rewrite every campaign you ever run, so then players don't really know. You know, <laughs> you actually could possibly sell like, yeah, we're breaking like almost entirely from the from the intended path of the books. Fucking sue me. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's. <laughs> I, I I honestly feel like uh, I, next time I run a game, I want to run it run something from scratch. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, I I am I am coming to the same conclusion. Actually, I'm coming to the conclusion of the next time I run a campaign, I want to run a I want to run it, but like pulled very vigorously from uh, adventure paths. Because at this point, really, what I'm using the adventure path for is just a lot of like it just backends all of the numbers for me. Like I don't have to, you know, sift through and build encounters and stuff like that. I can kind of just like. Find I I can I can see what the book gives me tweak it a little bit but like for the most part they do most of like the numbers on their end uh, when it comes to that kind of thing and I feel like being able to do that but like pulling from five different APs at once 
uh, is uh, is what I really want from my like basing things off of APs. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think you want the set pieces maybe, and and to like write your own connective tissue. Yeah, I mean, even but well, even then, I find myself rewriting a lot of the set pieces. Uh, <laughs> book, book three is going to be fun. Book three is radically different than I had even I I had run, I planned on running book three basically straight and then adding in some pieces because I think it's the kind of the the most fertile ground for this stuff. Uh, but as I actually got like sat down and started preparing everything, I scrapped the entire mega dungeon that is supposed to end on, and I completely changed what that is and i added in and i stripped out all of this other bullshit and it, it's just so different it's like not from you know uh yeah i think uh, i think custom games are really where i belong uh, I, I i think that's fair wow so but anyway uh did you play a uh, video video yeah so what did, what did i play this week um i didn't play a ton but i played I, I have picked up Dark Souls 3 again because uh, the Super Best Friends are doing a Dark Souls 1 play through. I felt the itch, so I've been tooling around with Dark Souls 3. It's still a lot of fun. Um, I'm playing a Pyromancer, throwing them fireballs around. And then I dipped my toes into, um, into Rainbow Six Siege. And man, that game is... I have not played any multiplayer yet. I've just been going through the single player training. And that game is like complex and tactical and pretty pretty cool um i need to put some more time into it but i can all see myself getting very sorry uh very easily frustrated with um uh with with with, with, with like how much can go wrong in so little time um it's 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 uh it's a neat game uh, yeah, I hear that game's a lot of fun just because the time to kill is, like, ridiculously short. And so it's a lot less about uh, – it, it like, and that makes things very kind of, like, tactical and lethal for that perspective, which I think is interesting. That's neat. Can get me on board for that kind of thing. Well, I wonder if that's – I don't know. I, 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 it's funny because the, the single-player stuff I've been playing is – it feels like the time to kill is actually pretty long as compared to other games I play. But I've also been playing a lot of like Titanfall two and other frenetic shooters. Maybe it's it's probably long shorter than say Overwatch. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, Overwatch feels uh, uh like it has long, long times well, to kill. But uh, um, what have you been playing? I have been playing basically just exclusively WoW. Uh, 7.1.5 dropped, obviously, last week or whatever, um, which has kind of gotten everybody back into the swing of things. But we ran Nighthold for the first time on Tuesday night, which was awesome. Uh, very cool raid. Lots of cool mechanics. Lots of cool stuff um, kind of coming uh, uh, down the pike. And also, like, because um, everybody's kind of at 35 artifact points traits now because everybody's at ak-25 or whatever um you're kind of seeing like specs feel like they blossom to a certain extent where just like everything falls into place um we've been doing uh going back into doing mythic pluses i did my first plus 10 mythic plus uh the other day um 
they did they, you know 7.1.5 did a lot of cool things where they basically did the league of legends things of like uh, well, I don't really know why this is the League of Legends thing, but they did they did this thing where they basically looked at the best build for every class, and they buffed everything that wasn't in that build. Um, so what happened for Warriors uh, specifically, because it's obviously the class I main, is that uh, you know there's this kind of single super single target focused rage build, and they buffed up a couple of the other talents in some of those trees that make that that build work, so that you can still do that build right. I'm still raiding with that build, but in Mythic Plus I can take a build that is really really good at just killing trash. It kills trash so freaking fast. It is like insane, but single target dps is bad and so now i kind of have this tactical choice of like okay well i'm gonna enter into a mythic plus group um do i want to take a super whirlwind focused uh mythic plus build where all i'm about is killing trash or do i want to go and do my super single target build and kind of let the trash be handled by other people um and then you kind of get into like compositional stuff of like okay well am i playing machine gun frost knight uh, which is a special kind of Frost Knight build that's very cleave-heavy, so they kill trash really fast, too. Uh, and so if the two of us are in a group, yeah, well, okay, maybe I focus on single target, he focuses on uh, multi-target, you know, all of that other kind of stuff. I think it, it, it's, uh, I don't know, I think that stuff is cool, and it's a lot of fun, and I'm really into it. Patch 7.2 just hit the PTR, there's all of this neat stuff in it. I'm I'm back on, I'm back on the WoW train, choo-choo, motherfucker. <laughs> Well, I'm I'm glad that you are enjoying your time in Azeroth. Um, certainly, it has brought joy to many, but I, I fear that my WoW train has stopped at least for the time being. Oh, are you not are you not going to come to raid even? Uh, I don't think so. I just Fair can't enough. get myself to care. Yeah, I mean, a, a certain amount of it is uh, that uh, it feels like kind of loot. Like, even the stuff I'm getting from Nighthold is not necessarily upgrades. You know what I mean? Like, uh, but, you know, like, and those Nighthold fights are fun, and it's a lot of fun kind of being in a progression situation again um, where, uh, you know, I, 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 I find those kinds of situations just, like, enjoyable in and of themselves, I guess. Um, I don't know. There's There's more to it. Plus, obviously, you know, uh, my, my attachment to the guild of the RP, uh, is what it is. I've started running my own storyline for all of, uh, all of the Torrent squad, everyone in Ash Totem Village. It's, uh, it's grueling because I have to be, you know, when you, when you GM this kind of stuff, you have to be responding to people's posts all the time, which just like takes up a lot of your time and kind of everything. But I'm, I'm a big fan of, uh, I'm a big fan of giving, you know, giving people, stuff interesting stuff to do and to accomplish and problems to work through and to see how they how they get get at it yeah no that, that absolutely i definitely feel that but uh yeah besides that i don't really know what else i played i guess i played a little bit of here's the storm though not anything i just keep leveling up varian rin because i really want that level 10 master skin um uh, how are you not there already? Would you like? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I really don't know. I'm really close. I'm like, you know, seventy five percent of the way through level nine. So, uh, hmm. Well, 
I don't think I've got anything else either. My, my week was particularly full of, of work stuff this week, so not a lot of time to, to stretch my, my game muscles. Um, yeah, that's fair. I had this, I, well, I didn't have the same, but, uh, I had a similar thing cause I was just kind of also, uh, focused on other things. You know, I had this, you know, I had like the party or whatever, and then doing all of these other things that I didn't really get actually as much time. Like I was hoping I would be able to, to get more down for Deus Ex Mankind Divided, but I didn't get really anywhere with that. Whoops. Oh, you know what I did do is, uh, did I tell, did I, have I talked about the Nova missions on StarCraft 2? Uh, yes, you did. You talked about it last week. Oh, time I talked about it last week? Yeah, okay. So I played some of those. So those are fun. But I think if, I, if, uh, nothing really new has happened. So if I got into it last week, I bet, I, I bet I just kind of hit everything. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, that's about, that's about it. Yeah. I suppose. Sorry that we're f- five minutes short this week. Royal <laughs> listeners, but uh, if you want to tell us what you think about arbitrary combat or any of the half a dozen things we talked about in this podcast, you can email us at somedermsplaygames at gmail.com. You can uh, watch us at twitch.tv slash games. You can follow us on Twitter and on iTunes and all that stuff. And uh, we have a new publicity manager, I guess. Two so- of them. Uh, they are competing. <laughs> yeah, I, I think one of them might be more serious than the other. I agree. Um, but we will, uh, we we will uh, hopefully be more widespread. So all two of you might get some more friends soon. Um, <laughs> um, so uh, did you have anything else you wanted to pimp, buddy? No, I did not. I did not want to uh, add anything else. All right. Um, uh, in that case, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.